0: Welcome to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello and welcome back to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie Deboe and I'm so delighted that you decided to join us again this week. Help me welcome Dr. Listy Thomas. Dr. Thomas practices emergency medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She's an Associate Professor of Medical Sciences at the Frank H. Netter, MD, School of Medicine, Quinnipiac University, where she currently serves as the Assistant Director of the Clinical Arts and Sciences course. She received her BA at New York University, MD at SUNY Downstate Medical Center, and went on to complete her residency in internal medicine slash emergency medicine at North Shore Long Island Jewish Health System. Dr. Thomas is interested in the development of physicians with strong clinical and communication skills for benefiting the physician-patient relationship. Dr. Thomas, thank you for being here to join us. Welcome to
1: Essential Wisdom. Thank you, Carrie. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So the way that we begin most of these conversations is just to ask you to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician.
1: Um, sure. So I actually. Always wanted to be a physician since I could remember. I think even in grade school, I wanted to be a a doctor. Um, And then, uh, for no reason, no no one in my family are physicians, and uh, you know, we grew up in a a very poor farming (laughs) environment, uh, and then came here um, as immigrants to this country. And I think I just always liked to be in the service of others, and I thought being a physician gave me the best opportunity to do so. And um, when I actually set forth those plans and applied to colleges, my parents were like, no, don't do it. It's hard to raise a family being a physician and it's not worth it. And so they actually kind of didn't really encourage me to do it, which probably uh, motivated me a little bit more <laughs> in the end.
0: Did you have any people practicing medicine in any way in your family at the time?
1: Uh, No, no. My mom um, is a nurse. And uh, so that was a big, uh, she was a big role model for me in my uh, training and career. And uh, I think seeing how uh, hard it was to be a nurse, especially, probably helped me decide not to go into the nursing career, but to pursue medicine instead, honestly.
0: So you said that medicine was something that you'd wanted since you were young and was just kind of a part of this action of wanting to serve others. Did you ever second guess it or did it, was it just something you wanted all throughout college as well?
1: Yeah, I never second guessed it. Um, I, I honestly feel like in terms of, um, you know, being a female physician, none of these factors really played into my decision-making. It never occurred to me, except when my parents said, it's hard to raise a family. That was the only feedback I had ever heard or received about how um, a a woman couldn't do it all. And so it never really crossed my mind. And I just pursued it as a academic goal. and, And then you know, kind of probably face the consequences of not having made a well-informed decision down the road (laughs) once uh, multiple other factors like children and family life did come into play. But um, it it was really because I I wanted to save the world, I wanted to, you know, do mission work, and I wanted to have the best skills under my belt to be able to do those kinds of things.
0: Will you talk a little bit about... What The process was of being not as well informed you know about family and about what all that would mean for
1: your life? When I was in training in college and even in medical school, we were probably at a different point in our culture than we are now, and although I had female physician role models, um, I, I think it was still kind of like that you know female physician that kind of gave up, sacrificed a lot of the things that probably we hold dear now in our culture, like being able to raise a family and you know having the best of every possible part of our lives. And um, so I think I learned from physicians, both male and female, who didn't have a lot of responsibilities at home or elsewhere, um, and really sacrificed a lot of other parts of their life for their career and for their academic goals. And uh, so, like, it was taboo to talk about a lot of these things. I didn't really have many conversations with my colleagues, residents, or people who were mentors to me about, you know, what would my day look like as a physician in one specialty versus the other, or, you know, how would roles change in a multi-physician family, or, you know, any of those things. I think uh, we, I I at least didn't know to think about or ask about, and uh, didn't really have conversations with anyone about. So I feel like only after a lot of these online uh, forums like Facebook and social media um, came about where we started having open discussions about these things among uh, female physicians, I, I realized these are conversations that I've had in my mind, but probably not with many anyone else. And then I realized probably there are students and trainees who probably want to have, have these conversations. And so that's what really pushed me to create the AMO group at, at our mm-hmm. school.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and thank you for doing that, <laughs> personally, because I, I know how much I enjoy it and how much other students at Quinnipiac find it um, to be a good forum to talk about those things. And actually, I wonder if you would be able to talk a little bit about the group that you're in on Facebook. I know we've talked about it before, but not everybody's aware that it exists, like the, the Facebook group for um, talking about motherhood and all of this while being a physician.
1: Yeah, um, it's called PMG, Physician Moms Group. And uh, it was created by Hala Sabri, who's a, a physician in California currently. And uh, I think she just started it, thinking about, you know, raising her child and, and all the, the stressors and started talking to other, other physician moms who real, she realized were going through the same thing. And we were kind of just doing it in, in silos and si- in silence, you know, just trying to figure out how to balance all of the different priorities in our life and, and give equal weight to each of them, you know, because I think for all of us, our, our careers and why we set out onto this path of medicine, who we became in that journey, uh, is a critical element of ourselves and one that we don't want to lose. And yet, as you become a, a mother, a parent in any right, you know, you, you realize there's a whole other <laughs> element of your person, uh, personhood, your character that uh, requires just as much weight and then so trying to figure out how to balance both of those things. I think learning from others and speaking with each other about our frustrations along the way has um, has been a huge support group that I think I could not find in a um, doctor's lounge in a hospital. It's so
0: amazing that that exists and that social like media and culture online has been able to create a forum for that. I mean I, it's just incredible.
1: Yeah, it is. And it, you know, it comes with a lot of the same negative aspects of it that social media creates, but for the most part, there are 70,000 plus female physicians on this group uh, for a reason, you know, and I think that it speaks, it speaks to the experiences of many of us um, when anyone posts anything on it. And as a as a forum, I think um, the the admins of the group have been able to do a significant amount of positive for many people um, nation- nationwide and also across the world through this group so it's been nice.
0: In your experience how do you set those priorities? Do they change over time? Do they have to do with the setting you're working in?
1: Yeah so I think it does definitely change over time and uh, when I had my first child in residency and so um, I think The motherhood tax was a a real thing that I did not expect to encounter. I really did not believe that women were treated differently than men. And I think being sheltered by academia helps you not see those things, perhaps, for the average person. I think there are many enlightened students and residents along the way that are able to perceive the nuances and the the implicit biases uh, that gender might play. But uh, for the most part, I never thought about or encountered any of it until I think I became a mother and realized like, you know, I was being kind of taken away from opportunities that I should have had or, you know, just silly minor things and always being told, well, focus on your family, focus on your family by my, my seniors, my mentors, you know, (laughs) my attendings. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well that's nice that they're letting me focus on my family. But I think it was not something that I, had expected, you know, and um, I think that translated a lot when I, uh, you know, my my own perspectives changed, and I realized with a a little baby, a newborn, a one year old, that I didn't really want to pursue the same academic career that I was on a trajectory to do, and you know, switched where I worked as an attending, my first job, um, significantly because of this child that I now had to take care of, and so. Um, that, that was a, a big change that I hadn't an anticipated. I'd expected to forever work in an academic environment, teaching residents and, um, you know, being, being a part of that. And, and I'm the kind of person that if I do something, I want to do it 100%. But then now I had, to ba- I had to figure out how to balance 250% and make them 100%, you know? So I, you know, trained and I was fortunate enough to be able to go through all of my training, except maybe in my last year and a half of residency as a as a single person, as you know, a newly married person. And then only in the end of my residency did I have a baby. And I think for those students and residents that struggle with trying to make it work even early on, it might be good because you learn how to prioritize earlier, but um, I also felt like I was able to devote a lot of my attention just to the one thing of, of training uh, when I was in that role. And then, then I switched altogether to a role of motherhood and for five, six years kind of really just tried to focus on that and focus on being a new attending and figuring out how to make my new priorities as an attending. Because you know, for all that training that you do, the 13 years that I trained, You know, it was somebody else telling me what to do all along the way, you know, getting to the next milestone, and then all of a sudden, it's kind of like figure it out on your own. And so, yeah, that was a new, new phase of my life, attending hood and motherhood. And then, you know, I had the fortune of being able to work at the medical school that was new and uh, being involved with that and curriculum development kind of helped me bring back a lot of those academic interests that I had. And, um, then i had to rebalance you know being able to do the clinical role the academic role and then motherhood at the same time it's it's possible and doable to the extent that you want it to be
0: when you had the transition to being attending and mom kind of in in the same period of time did you work full-time the entire journey
1: i did i worked full-time um and uh had two more children uh as an attending, wow. and um, I think with each incremental responsibility load of each child, I realized how hard it was uh, to work full time. But I did, I did continue it. I think there was like maybe a six month period where I had to go part time when I was pregnant with my third child, and I was working overnights primarily. Um, and you know, I don't. And no one, I don't think, honestly, no one had taken maternity leave. In residency when I was there, no one had taken maternity leave. And when I worked as an attending, I think there was like probably one person beforehand. And the, you know, so it was kind of like make your own trail along the way of trying to figure out how to do it. And so, my, with my first child, I took four weeks off um, after a C section, and that was just like my four weeks of vacation time that I had accumulated. By the time I had my third child, I was like, okay, I need to take the full 12 weeks and enjoy my you know, not enjoy, but like not kill myself because, you know, trying to learn to pump and work and, you know, manage three children. <laughs> it, was a, it was a challenge that I had not anticipated in any way. Wow.
0: In your experience now, seeing these things play out in the culture we live in today, is it easier for people to go ahead and take that full maternity leave or, or not?
1: You know, I think ha- having worked with millennials for, you know, six, seven years now and, um, and really getting to understand their perspectives in a way that I, I would not have had the opportunity to do otherwise. I think I really, really appreciate the perspective on life that millennials bring that, you know, that wellness is important, balance is important. Um, I think we were kind of like a swing generation with the values of the, of the people that came before us and trying to adjust to the life that we were given but I think the millennials have it right honestly in in a lot of respects and I think that that is such an important skill to to know and and understand that you you do need balance and you do need uh to take time off when you need to take time off you know and I think that uh early motherhood is probably one of those times where you need to you need to just step back a little bit if you can, you know, or allow space in your life so that, you know, one, one of your aspects of life doesn't consume you, you know? And for me, I loved to have, I honestly thought going to a shift in the ER was easier than being home with my three children many, many days, <laughs> or even with my one child, you know, when I had one. So I appreciated having the outlet, the venue to do something else. I can't even imagine. <laughs> and I'm both
0: impressed and just, I think that's amazing, inspired by the, you know, determination that you had to do both things, and, and I just love that. So, I actually have a question in regards to, like, then lifestyle. Do you think, I know at Kentucky Act we spend a lot of time um, doing lifestyle medicine conversations during our flex weeks, et cetera. Do you, like, how do you see that moving in medical education for people in the future? Do you think that that's going to continue to be integrated into our education, et cetera?
1: That's a really good question, and I hope it is something that does continue um, and create a, a sea change within the House of Medicine itself. Um, I, I don't think it's sustainable, and it's not actually good for the future generations that come be after us because I think both parents need to be home. You know, paternity leave was not even a thing when <laughs> I was raising my children, and I think that's a huge, huge boon. I think. Uh, for equality to have fathers in the home uh, available to help and understanding the nuances of what it takes to, to raise children um, appropriately. I think children need parents at home. You know, I think a lot of us outsource a lot of our responsibilities uh, as, as we get, as we climb this uh, ladder of medicine. But um, I I think the, the more that you're, your family can see you there. I think the better off all of you will be, you know, it's a short, honestly, I see it as a very short timeline. Like you only have these children for less than 20 years. That's pretty much how long it took me to train. And that's a, you know, that's all over. So, um, you know, I think this is just another phase and then it moves on. Different people are different parts of their career and their academic goals. But I do, I do think and hope that, that balance and, you know, Treating even students and residents and juniors to you at any point with the respect that you would expect from others, I think, is, is an, a crucial part, part of, of that uh, better environment that we all create for each other.
0: What is um, one piece of advice that you would give somebody considering that work life balance or that priorities at this stage in our career?
1: You know, I, I think it's different for every every person and really depends on this type type of social support systems that you have. Um, I really think if you're planning to do residency um, in a a place that you're, you know, or at a time where you're also planning to um, perhaps, you know, grow your family or, you know, consider that as an option, you might want to be around people that could help you, you know, whether it's uh, parents or, you know, extended family or whatever. I think that's an important thing to just bear in mind. I mean, I, you know, a lot of things change and you can't always anticipate or plan, but I think to the extent that you can set up yourself to have a good support system and often in medicine, we don't have time to do that or build those support systems. Um, but if, if you are mindful of it, I think, it would, it would only help. Just there are so many things, so many last minute things where I have to lean on people that I didn't anticipate having to do. And I think that's hard for all of us in medicine to want to do. Um, but I think the thing that I really learned the most is that we're not that different in medicine than everybody else. I think in terms of motherhood, in terms of being a woman, you know, I, I, a lot of the things that I went through before I had PMG, the people that I confided in were the nurses and you know, text and everybody else that I worked with in, in, in my department because we were all going through the same thing at the same time. Uh, or we had a role model who had just, you know, who was just getting her kids off to college or something, you know, and like, I think those conversations that cross, you know, professions, but really just preserve the fact that we are all women kind of in this together. I think those are some of the most meaningful things that I've, I've learned to in in ways to extend my social support.
0: That's such an important sentiment that we really are more like each other than everyone thinks. Um, Sometimes it's easy to get trapped in your own role, you know, and looking for someone who has the exact same role as you and not pay attention to how everybody else that may be in a different role actually has similar experiences.
1: And, you know, a lot of my really strongest friends right now are our PAs and RNs that have, you know, we're all in the same phases of life, right? And so. Absolutely. Who
0: would you say then um, has served as like important mentors? Do you have a cabinet of tons of different types of people? Do you have um, a mentor for each different role?
1: Or how do you go about that? Yeah, I think, uh, I I wish I had been better about it for sure. Um, This last month I had the opportunity to just go to a bunch of reunions that I hadn't, you know, people I hadn't seen in a long time. And I think along the way I had different mentors. I just didn't label them as such and didn't know to appreciate them as such. Right. But um, one of the big reasons why I went to my residency program was because of a a female attending, Dr. Barbara Barnett, who became our program director after I was there. And she was a big role model to me. Um, and a mentor and uh, someone that I, I really and even still now aspire to become like at some point but as soon as I met her like this is who I want to be and um, I think that was an important um, person in my life and uh, in, in the career that I developed and I you know I learned from um, her how to be a, a mother and a physician at the same time too as well as you know a few other um, female attendings that I worked with Dr. Pam Arsov and Helen Block we, they all you know, constantly spoke about their challenges um, of motherhood, and and still were like the most amazing ED attendings that you could ever work with. You know, and so I think that was something that I really wanted to aspire to. So they were big mentors. But you know, outside of that, I really, I really haven't. I still struggle now to to find the right mentors, and I think it's because early on I didn't know where to prioritize. Right, and so a lot of my mentors were actually men, um, and I, and they they taught me many things and were very valuable in my uh, um, career and, and the goals that I wanted to pursue. Um, so I think you you have to really do diversify your your mentoring portfolio as well, you know. And I think that's important. I'll, some of my mentors are are my students. I'm like, wow, I want to be just like them, <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and the way that they just have a great outlook on life, and you know, and the, and the hope that I think students bring, right? I think that I love working in that environment and being able to to see things from the lens of someone just starting out too.
0: What's one of the greatest rewards for being a female in medicine for you?
1: I get to hear different perspectives, the perspective of a stay-at-home mother the perspective of a, you know, nine-to-five mother versus the shift work mother, you know, and I think I I really, really value... um, being able to be a physician mom, it's something that I think, you know, as much as we struggle with trying to do it all and being a super mom and, you know, super woman in medicine, the ability to, to just think about or do something different makes me better in every role, <laughs> you know, um, that, I, that I have currently. And that's not for everybody. Some people are just experts in one thing and that's what they're, they're going to do. And that's, you know, you have to identify within yourself what are your personality characteristics that... Help you thrive, and you know, for me, being a combined resident, having learned two different things at the same time every time, I think that just kind of helped me set up for a life of being able to um, be flexible in in my different roles. And so, I value having the outlet in each each way. Like, I love being able to come home and snuggle my children, and I love being able to leave them and go to work when I need to, you know. And I love being able to teach when I'm just kind of like, I got to walk away from both of those things. So yeah I do I do think it's a a great career to pursue for for females
0: thank you for sharing that and uh thank you for just saying that that's the case I, I know that these questions regardless of whether we're comfortable talking about them a little bit more now or not still resonate with people you know can I do this is this possible so thank you for you know sharing why that is possible for you um in terms of then the flip side of this conversation what is you would say the biggest barrier or challenge that you faced being a female in medicine?
1: I, I used to call it disappointment. I'm not sure I call it disappointment anymore, but in, in a patient's or family member's uh, face when they or when I walk in and introduce myself as Dr. Thomas and they're expecting, you know, somebody different, that bias is still real. Um, after working in the same place for many years, I, I am, the staff that I work with, the department that I am in, the hospital, I think everybody's gotten used to it and, you know, understand that I am the physician when I walk in and the patients do as well, which, because we have a bunch of, you know, repeat uh, visits and things like that. But I think that bias made me feel like I was not good enough when I, when I started. And I, it's not because I'm not a good physician. I had to learn that. I had to relearn that, you know, after 15 years of training, because I had to learn that I, although, you know, excelled throughout medical school and residency, um, could not make the same impact to my patients because of things that I really had no control over. And I think that was something that I had to really become comfortable with and own and then kind of overcome. And that probably maybe took like seven, eight years, you know, because again, I'm trying to manage two or three different new roles. And so, um, that I think was the hardest thing to to see people that I knew um, and trained with really um, excelling and and you know excelling in the eyes of patients but also in the eyes of departments and and uh, I didn't really have that same trajectory, even though I had all the same skills and um, I think that was something that I had to realize really I couldn't change you know and and just become okay with. And that I think is hard for a lot of people, because in medicine, we're so used to excelling. And so
0: can I ask you about that process of growing to understand that you couldn't necessarily change yourself? How like, how did you? How did you go about that? Was that just over time, like a maturation? Or did you talk to someone? Or what was that like?
1: I change best when I learn, I feel like so I just needed to build my knowledge base. So I I started reading about it. I started learning and becoming, you know, very knowledgeable about unconscious bias. And, you know, even understanding that that was what was going on probably took many years. And, and I, you know, delved into the literature, the medical literature, the social science literature. I, you know, got my MBA. I, I did whatever I could on my end to learn the leadership skills, the, the the social attribution skills that I did not possess while I was learning medicine. Right. Um, And that helped me. That was how I dealt with it, you know, Um, by trying to become as, as knowledgeable about what's going on, you know, if there is something that I could change. Right. And, you know, I, I always thought that I understood patient care, clinical reasoning excellently um, and then developing that, you know, how to effectively communicate with the other person, you know, those communication skills and those soft skills that I think, you know, we, we now do really nicely at the medical school. But I think that was not really something that was in our curriculum in medical education, um, how, to, how to work in teams and how to work interprofessionally. All of these things are based off of real trial and error problems that I encountered, right? And so I think uh, that, was, that was the way I, I developed. Um, into the place of of acceptance (laughs) because it's not going to change. I realize the society, it's still, it's still lagging. I honestly never thought we were as, um, I don't want to say backwards, but as behind (laughs) as we, as we may currently seem to be, you know, we are, we are growing as a society, but there are areas. And I think when you change institutions, you change, Regions of the country. As you move along in your career, you'll realize even there's a lot of regional variation.
0: This is such an important point, and honestly, the reason why I'm doing this podcast because I think that becoming informed about what's ahead of you and what the situation is is so 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 important. And um, I appreciate you being very honest with me about that. In terms of kind of wrapping down our interview, is there a piece of advice that you would have for a medical student who's determining and imagining her journey into residency and beyond
1: do not limit yourself right (laughs) do what you what you think you want to do and don't really don't limit yourself based off of um only the negative feedback you know i think we the negative feedback probably speaks loud more loudly in everyone's ears than than any positive feedback but i have seen a, a lot of students kind of walk away from a dream because of some one negative encounter with someone along the way. You know, whenever I have had negative feedback, I've definitely wanted to crawl under a rock and never go back and do it again. But um, I think, you know, you've got to this point of being in medical school because of your strengths and your abilities and not much else, you know. And so build on those negatives and, and make them your strengths also. Um, and you'll find that you can probably do more than you ever realized. So.
0: Thank you, Dr. Thomas, for all of your advice, all of your wisdom. It's just been a really lovely conversation, so I appreciate you taking this time to talk to us.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you doing this, Carrie. I think it's, so, um, it's such an important work and so meaningful, and I think we are, we are excited for you and the career that you uh, pursue as well. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for coming and talking with us on Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians. What a jam-packed episode. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you, and I hope that our listeners enjoy listening to it just as much as I enjoyed having it. This was an absolute blast. So everybody, thank you again for tuning in to Essential Wisdom this Tuesday. Come back this Thursday for another episode. This is a special episode with another fourth-year medical student. So we'll be having a medical student-only talk on Thursday this week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Happy January.